podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So there's going to be a content warning on this podcast, and that is because it's about my arm and some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about is going to freak people out a little bit because it's a bit of a freaky story. So if you get a bit squishy about pain and violence and weird things like that, it's probably best that you don't go ahead and listen to this. Or if you're eating a lovely meal and enjoying yourself and you go, oh, I'll just put on one of Jared's podcasts to listen. It may not work perfectly. Also, you know, some children may get a little bit freaked out by this. So just a content warning. Get ready for a broken fucking a lot of people have been asking about my arm and wishing me well about my arm and talking about my arm. So I thought I would explain what actually happened to my arm. The most important thing that you need to know is that it had nothing to do with skateboarding being in the Olympics. I didn't suddenly watch the Olympics and go, ah, wonder if I can jump on a skateboard. No, that's important. It's important for you to know that my skateboarding goes back beyond the Olympics. My skateboarding goes back, in fact, to my son who said to me he wanted to learn skateboarding. And I was like, well, I've always wanted to skateboard. Maybe I could learn and teach you. So that was about five or six years ago. And uh, I got okay. I can skateboard around. I don't live too far from Kent Second Ground. So sometimes I even skateboard there. I skateboard around to get the kids from school. You know, I skateboard a little bit. Up until COVID, I skateboarded a lot. And so when I was going to be working late night at the Oval, I thought to myself, I know how I can make my day just that little bit shorter. I can skateboard on the way back from the Oval. And I did. I skateboarded around the Oval. And I'm not going to lie to anyone. Skateboarding around the Oval at night was one of the coolest things I have ever done. I probably didn't save any time because I spent a lot of time just having fun. But it was absolutely awesome to be able to skateboard around the Oval. Then I jumped on buses and trains and then I got back to my house and I skateboarded down a hill and that's when I crashed. I don't know what I hit. I've had a look. I don't know what went wrong, but it was dark and I wasn't wearing any pads or a helmet. And it was a new board that I haven't used much because of COVID. It goes a little bit faster than my old board. And I was basically home, so I probably wasn't paying that much attention. I don't actually know how I fell off the skateboard. All I know is that I bounced because I remember seeing my arm bounce up in the air and for it to look a little bit like spaghetti, wet spaghetti, if you will. I told a young kid who was walking past that I needed an ambulance. He freaked out, but did call me one. Then my wife came down because I was only like a one minute walk from home (laughs) at this point, two minute walk from home. She came down and the ambulance basically said, it's Friday night at 10 o'clock. You're going to have to wait four hours for a broken arm. I was not in any state to be waiting four hours for anything. I was trying to hold my arm at the wrist, but something would sag here. So I would hold it down here and the wrist would fall apart. Clearly I had done something quite bad. So we called an Uber instead. And this poor old Uber driver turned up who was going at about seven miles an hour. And eventually I had to say to him, look, we need to go faster. If you see a roundabout, if you see a speed hump, you slow down. Otherwise, can you go at the speed limit? Because we have to get to the hospital. I got to the closest hospital to my house. Unfortunately, due to COVID, I had to line up outside. And so I lined up outside and waited to be called while I screamed in agony because I was now standing trying to hold something that couldn't be held. Eventually, a security guard saw me slash heard me and decided to let me into the hospital. But instead of going into A&E, I was in some random hallway, which happened to be opposite someone who was obviously trying to do some work late at night. That person then came out and gave me a handful of drugs. I'm assuming just paracetamol and ibuprofen, that kind of thing. They didn't work. After that, I got moved into A&E and I spent somewhere between an hour and a half and two hours in A&E itself, screaming most of the time. I figured that everyone in A&E was looking at me because of the screaming, 
But it also turns out that I was in so much pain that I was going a weird color at this point and people were afraid I was going to pass out. It was a busy night. It was a Friday night in London in an area where lots of people do lots of different substances and things were going on. Finally, a nurse came and got me. He took me into a booth, cut off my shirt, and his face told me everything I needed to know about what was going on under my shirt. It wasn't good. Whatever he saw wasn't good. He called over a bunch of nurses, which is never a good sign. The head nurse came over and she said, oh my God, how did you not pass out? You now need to lay down. They laid me down and then they said, have you had any drugs so far tonight? And I told them about this guy outside in the hallway who gave me some drugs. Turned out whoever that guy was didn't tell anyone from what I could tell what he gave them and no one could find him. I could only give them a basic description of what he looked like. And so they decided to give me gas and air. Now, I don't know if gas and air is called different things in different countries, but gas and air is basically what they give to pregnant women when they don't give them real drugs. And my wife's been through a couple of pregnancies, so I know a couple of things about gas and air. One, largely a placebo. It's there to concentrate your breathing so you don't look at the pain. But I found out something incredible about gas and air that I never knew before this day. It dehydrates you. Now, here's something you didn't know about Jared Kimber. I'm a cramper. I've always been a cramper. I come from a long line of crampers. In my family, we drink a lot and we sweat a lot and we cramp. It's always been a big problem for me from a very young age of cramping. So much so that I once cramped during sex and like threw a woman off me, basically. It was like she hit a wall and slid down the wall. Such is the power of my cramps. If I don't stop my cramps, they just continue. It's not like I get cramp and I bend my toes back a little bit and it goes, I have to get up and walk. I have to rehydrate myself. I have to find electrolytes, but I couldn't do any of those. I was now on a machine that was dehydrating me and my cramps were coming in. And I had told them even before I went on the gas and air that I was a cramper. They didn't listen. My cramps started in my left leg and I tried to wiggle my toes, but it did not stop it, which meant every 10 seconds or so, it felt like my leg was about to snap, which of course affected my arm. Then my other leg went into cramp. This stage, I'm trying to breathe and tell the nurse that this is not working. It's making it worse. She's telling me to suck harder. I don't know what she thought was in the gas, but whatever it was, it was not helping me at all. My left leg and my right leg are now in full cramp and I'm trying to wiggle my toes to stop it feeling like my legs are about to snap. And then my broken arm starts to cramp and it's just spasming wildly and I'm screaming. And when it stops, my legs go and just my whole body is now in cramp. Finally, they take me into a room and they give me something. I don't think it was pain relief. I don't know exactly what it was, but it did stop the cramps and it stopped me screaming, which was probably the most important thing from the A&E's perspective is just to stop me screaming. Later on, a nurse would say, oh, you were the one who screamed all that time. Always good to be remembered that way. Once I had settled down, and by settled down, I was still in a lot of pain. The nurse then asked me what my pain level was and I said, 10. And she said, well, I've had two children. I said, well, I'm not comparing myself to you. I'm telling you, when I had cramps and my arm was going on, that was the 10 pain. And at the moment, I'm probably down to about a 6.5. The cramping was the worst pain I'd ever had, but I was about to top that in a few minutes. I'm still not sure if I have four breaks, which include two dislocations of my wrist and my elbow, or if I have six breaks. But basically, I think what happened was I dislocated my wrist, I dislocated my elbow, I broke my arm here, and I broke my arm here. That's kind of all I know. And the orthopedic guy turned up and he had a look at my x-rays and said, how long ago did this happen? And I said, I don't know, three hours maybe? 
and his jaw dropped and he said, I think you're going to lose your arm. Now, obviously, my first thought here was about my family and how that would affect my family. But that quickly changed to, I've got a one-year-old daughter and I've never bowled to her before. And I really like to bowl to her. Can I teach myself how to bowl left arm? Now, that probably shouldn't have been my first thought, but cricket, eh? The orthopedic guy then said to me, we're going to have to reset your arm now if we're going to save it, but we can't give you any more drugs. You never want to hear that in a hospital. That's one thing I've learned. I've lived a fairly healthy life somehow, despite trying not to. And then to be told that you can't have any more pain relief when they're about to reset an arm that is broken between four and six times is not ideal. But if it's the choice between losing an arm and not losing an arm, I don't think I'm the only person in the world to think, we're just going to have to do it, aren't we? So they decided to give me gas and air again, but this time that came with two nurses who were both bending my toes back. One who kept saying, I'm afraid I'm going to break his toes before me and the orthopedic guy descent. Look, break the toes. If you need to break the toes, break the toes. They had to keep me still and they had to stop the cramp sort of coming up the rest of my body again. I don't know if that's how cramp works, but that's how it felt like it was going to work anyway. But they had to keep me still, I think is maybe the most important there. So I had a nurse on one foot, a nurse on another foot, another nurse holding my shoulder down while the orthopedic guy tried to put my arm back in its rightful place. The problem here is that I didn't have any pain relief. And also, it's very hard for a doctor to reset an arm when all the arm is broken. <laughs> where do you hold? And that seemed to be his biggest problem. No matter where he gripped it, it was broken and it wasn't working. And he tried to put it back in. At this point, I don't want to say I gave up screaming because that would be wrong. I'm sure I screamed as he did the twisting and the lifting. But in between, I went into joke mode. I just told a lot of jokes. Like I remember in the middle of this, someone came up and asked me if I was right-handed. And I said, well, about three hours ago I was. The nurse thought I must not have been in pain. But I think at this point, I'd just kind of given up. When you've been told there's a very big chance you're going to lose your arm and that they're going to have to fix it without any pain medication. And someone is grabbing it and twisting it and stuffing it back in. I'm not sure what else you can do other than make bad jokes. And I think on this YouTube channel, I've proven that in any situation, I have a bad joke. So while he's doing the twisting and the grunting and I'm doing the screaming, we hear a pop. We assume my elbow's gone back into its socket. We rush back off to the x-ray. We have a look and uh, he's not got a smile on his face. And I said, it's not in, is it? And he went, no, somehow we accidentally put your wrist in and we weren't even trying to put your wrist in. So I suppose there's something in that. And I said, are you happy? He said, no. I said, are you happier? And he said, yes, I think we've saved your arm. That's great. I mean, it's still very sore and a lot of things have to happen, but that's certainly something that you want to hear in that situation. They then tell me I need to have surgery. I get wheeled around to the ward to get surgery by this lovely old guy. And as he takes me into the ward, he says, oh, I put you here next to the window. You've got a good view of the skateboard park. At this point, they have to put my arm in plaster because I can't hold it and a normal sling isn't really helping because of all the different breaks and problems that's in it. I'd never actually had a plaster cast on before. All the breaks I've ever had before have been from fielding in the slips, so they've been fingers and thumbs and those sorts of things. And so I always assume that when you put your arm in plaster, that basically meant that everything like stayed in place. But because only my wrist was set and my arm was broken in all these different places, my elbow was still dislocated, when I moved my arm with the plaster cast on, I could hear it like sloshing. Like my arm sounded like manky bath water going around the tub. You never really want your arm to sound like manky bath water, do you? The first surgeon I see comes in and he's young and he tells me that it's one of the worst breaks he's ever seen. Which in some ways I know it sounds silly, but you're just like if there was a certain point where you heard you were going to lose your arm and now you're hearing it's one of the worst breaks ever, you're like, 
I've achieved something, something stupid, something truly stupid, but I've achieved something here. And he says, you may never be able to bend your arm again. And then I have to go through my mind. What are all the things I bend my arm for? Apparently it's driving and eating as much as anything, but there are other things as well. So again, the sort of the cricket person in me comes out and I'm like, well, I'm really going to have to learn to bowl left arm. Is this even a thing? Will it be left arm finger spin? Do I really want to be a finger spinner? Can I bowl left arm wrist spin? I'm not even sure I'm that good at bowling right arm wrist spin, to be fair. But another surgeon comes up, a more senior surgeon. He says, do you know what? I think we've got a chance here. Anyway, I go off and I have the surgery and I wake up from the surgery. All I remember is coming out of the anesthetic and screaming, I'm not a cricketer. You guys think I'm a cricketer, but I'm not a cricketer. I don't know why, but somehow I got in my head that they had confused me with a professional athlete. There was no reason for them to do that. Surgery went well, though. In fact, so well that you can now see that I can already bend my arm. It's only been a couple of weeks. They took the cast off so I can spend as much time bending my arm as possible and bending it as far as possible, which is not very far at the moment. But being that I was told it may never bend again, we're already there. There's a lot of metal and plates and screws and stuff. And I won't send you the photo of what's under here because it ain't good. There's still metal clips coming out of my wrist and everything. But the good news is that my arm will be back and hopefully within the next couple of weeks, I'll probably be able to start writing properly again rather than just doing what I'm doing here, which is talking off the top of my head for a long period of time. One of the other surgeons who didn't operate me, who was there though, sent me a message saying, now perhaps I'll be able to bowl some sort of murally like off spin. So if that's the case, it would be worth the fact that I thought I was going to lose my arm at one stage and potentially majorly upset all of my family's life if I can then bowl more like murally, I think. I'm not really sure why I told this story, but it's just people keep asking and I figured that it was better to get it out rather than keep it in. And so here it is. That hill that I skateboarded on, by the way, I remember I told you I didn't get into skateboarding because 12-year-olds were winning gold medals. I got into skateboarding because my five-year-old asked me to. Well, that hill that I injured myself on that I was coming down that broke this arm, that was also the hill that I taught my children how to skateboard on. I'm not sure if there's a moral to that story, but there's a story to that story. Just want to add a big thank you to all the people who helped out along the way from the guy who stopped on the road and called the ambulance to the poor Uber driver and all the people at the hospital, uh, including the surgeons and the nurses and the porters and all the different people who helped me along the way. So thank you very much. 